0: Hello, and welcome to Actively Speaking. I'm your host, Steve Bleiberg. Join us each episode as we discuss current issues concerning capital markets and portfolio management from the perspective of an active manager. Welcome back, everybody, to uh, another episode of Actively Speaking. Uh, we've, we took a little break over the summer, but we're back now. And actually, we're back in person, uh, recording for the first time in, a, in two and a half years, Uh uh in the same place with me and my uh my guest and i'm we're gonna go nuclear today and and uh my we're gonna talk about nuclear power and to uh do that with me i'm joined by michael Jin, who is a analyst on epics shareholder yield team michael thanks for joining me glad to be here so um you know nuclear is a very timely topic for various reasons um I would say one is it's been kind of building over the last few years, the realization that if we want to reduce uh, carbon emissions, that nuclear power perhaps should be a bigger part of our energy mix. And then another impetus was the war in Ukraine that started earlier this year that has put the supply of uh, oil and natural gas, uh, particularly to Europe, under stress. It's got people thinking more about alternative uh, sources of power. So why don't we start by Set the historical context for us on kind of what the how big a, a um, contributor has, has nuclear been historically to the energy mix and how has that changed over time, and does has it varied you know by region around the world. So, so, uh, globally, the world has about four
1: hundred forty nuclear reactors, and that uh, in combination they provide about ten percent of total electricity consumed by the by by the consumers and in our industries. The nuclear power plants were built in a wave in a span of about 20 years, mostly in the 70s and 80s. In a span of 20 years, uh, more than 300 nuclear reactors were built. And by 1987, it passed the mark of 400 nuclear reactors. And since then, or to say in the last 25 years, the number has been relatively stable. As of now, the number is 440. There are five major, say, nuclear power countries in terms of nuclear uh, power generation, they are United States, France, China, Russia, and Japan. And uh, maybe I'll spend uh, a couple of minutes on each of those countries. Sure. So first and most is uh, United States. The U.S. has the most number of uh, nuclear reactors in the world. Currently, it's operating 92 reactors in 28 states. The average age of those nuclear reactors are 40. which the oldest one that was built in 1969. Or 53 years old and the youngest was built in 2016 uh, the, but it's important to notice that the second youngest was built in 1996 which was 26 years old uh, the, the gap of that 20 years is really very unique for that one particular plan so it you know it was delayed by various kind of a policy and the safety reasons mm-hmm. uh but in the end it was built in 2016 but that reactor was actually a twin reactor to the one that was built in nineteen ninety six. The US a nuclear industry peaked in two thousand twelve when there were one hundred four reactors. And then in the last ten years we shut down
0: twelve nuclear reactors. So basically other than you know, as you pointed out the one that opened in twenty sixteen was really a twin of the one that opened twenty years earlier. Right. It was just delayed. so basically for twenty five years in the US we haven't we haven't really created new nuclear reactors. That's correct.
1: Of course uh, as you might be aware that US is currently building two new nuclear reactors now in a, in, a, in a, with a new technology and I'm happy to get into details uh, later if you want to talk about those but uh, just moving on to the next country the uh, the second largest nuclear power generation country is France currently it has 56 nuclear reactors providing 70% of total electricity used in the consuming in France. The country is also building another nuclear reactor with the third generation technology. That plant has been in the construction phase for quite a while and it still hasn't been started up yet. The third country is Russia, which which is moving towards east from here. Uh, Russia has only 37 nuclear reactors, uh, providing 20% of total electricity for the country. However, they are a leader in a generation four technology called a fast neutron reactors. The Currently, the country has three nuclear power plants under construction, but has 27 planned uh, for the future, and another 21 proposed, which is further out in the construction phase. Uh, moving further east is Japan. Before the March 2011 Fukushima a nuclear accident, Japan had 54 reactors in operation, providing almost 30 percent of the total electricity in the country but after the incident they shut down a lot of those and they finally bring back some of those and uh, they brought back a total of 10 and with the current situation in Ukraine the country is in the process of spinning up the approval for another 16 mm-hmm. uh, to come back online so then then last on the top five is China uh, the country currently has 54 operable nuclear power plants but those were pretty much built in the last 20 years because the year 2001, the country had only 2 gigawatts of uh, nuclear power, which is equivalent to about 2 nuclear reactors. So those 54 were built, most of the were built you know, between 2001 and, and, and today. It's a very young fleet. Uh, not only that, the country also has 22 new nuclear reactors under construction. Hmm. Uh, and 39 planned. Which means they will be built. And then 82 firmly proposed. And another 78 uh, less definitively proposed. That's a lot of reactors. So a lot of nuclear reactors to be built in China. Now, even though we touched upon those top five, I think it's also worth mentioning. I think India is worth. Mention that's because they're also building a lot of new ones in the future. Uh, India currently has 23 nuclear reactors in operation. However, it has been growing very fast in the last two decades. Uh, they currently have eight nuclear plants under construction, 12 planned, and also another 28 proposed. So imagine when those are all built, uh, they definitely will be in the top
0: five. Now, um, over the years, as we were just saying, like so, basically the U.S. went through about a 25-year period where nothing new was being built. And during those years, I would sometimes read about. You know, people who were in favor of going back to building more nuclear plants would say, well, you know, the technology has changed. It's different from that first wave that you referred to of reactors built in the 70s and 80s. The technology is better. It's safer. Tell us a little bit about, you know, what has changed?
1: Certainly, uh, in terms of technology, uh, the focus is mostly the reactor type, you know, the core of that nuclear power plant unit. And there are generally four generations of uh, those nuclear reactors. The generation one is very old, and a vast majority of them are not in service anymore. In the United States, there is none of those. The last one in operation was in 2015. Most of the reactors that's running today globally are generation two reactors. The most common type of reactor is called a pressurized water reactor, or short name PWR. And the second most common reactor is a boiling water reactor. There are a few other variations of reactors in different parts of the world, one is called Advanced Gas-Cooled Reactor. That's mostly of a UK version. And then there's a Canadian uh, version called CANDU, or sometimes they are called Ontario reactors because most of the reactors were built in the province of Ontario. And then, of course, there's the Russian version, and they're called RBMK Generation 2 reactors. Most of the differences are in the cooling mechanism. The nuclear reaction is you know, pretty much the same. It's the same yes. physics. Um, But the cooling mechanism varies a little bit here and there. So in the United States, all the 92 reactors are generation 2 reactors. And Out of those 92, uh, 61 are uh, pressurized water reactors and then 31 are boiling water uh, reactors. And all these uh, reactors are designed and licensed for 40 years of operation, but most of them have already been uh, extended for 40 years because they are very well designed and built. Some of them may be able to apply for operating life extension to 80 years. So that's a generation two. Generation three reactors are the ones that's being built today around the world. And I would say most of the design changes are evolutionary versus revolutionary. So therefore, they are higher in efficiency, but they didn't really change the core technology. They also improved the safety system. Basically, by installing the passive nuclear safety system. For example, the Generation 3 Plus has a core catcher. When uh, there is a core melt done, it can just naturally drop into a vessel below that can cool it and capture it and then prevent the leak. So that's the Generation 3. Uh, There are quite a few well-known models in Generation 3. One is called EPR, which stands for European Pressurized Reactor. And that's uh, mostly designed by... Uh, engineering company called Arriva now is owned by a uh, French utility company, EDF. The company did have a little bit of trouble history, but uh, that's a separate topic. Uh, another well-known model is called AP1000. And that's designed by Westinghouse, which also some bankrupt uh, several years ago. Troubled history for all the nuclear engineering firms. Uh, regardless, the AP1000 uh, reactors ha- has already been built with four in China operating already, generating electricity. And China is planning to build at least four more using the AP-1000 design. In the United States, as I mentioned earlier, we're building two new nuclear power plants and they are using the Westinghouse AP-1000 technology, and that's a generation three nuclear reactor. Certainly, uh, Russia has this, their own so-called uh, third generation reactors, and they're called a VVERs, which stands for Water Water Energetic Reactors. There are different sub models of that VVR, but they are, in a, uh, but there are many of them that are being built in, the, in Russia and, and, and a few other countries in the world. And then there is a, a lastly, there is a newcomer, and that's a Chinese design. It's called Huarong, uh, or alternatively, it's called HPC-1000. Uh, currently, there are uh, four reactors that have been already built and running, uh, with two in China and then, and two in Pakistan. And then china is planning to build 10 more and then pakistan will build one more uh that kind of reactors and then quickly on generation four they are still in design and that could be more revolutionary and there are six different reactor designs at this point in two major categories one category is called a thermal reactors such as a molten salt reactor just by the name of it you can tell it's a little bit more revolutionary than uh the generation three and also, the other type is called a fast neutron reactor, uh, such as sodium cooled. Russia is a leader in that technology with two pilot plants being built. And, and with the Generation 4, you might have heard of the small modular reactor. Uh, that's uh, That seems to be very important for the future of the energy transition. So the, the SMRs are really part of the Generation 4 technology. They're using GM4 tech. But they are smaller in design. The main change is that those reactors smaller, the components are modular so that can be produced in a mass in a larger quantity to reduce cost. However, they are unproven. today there is only some floating pilot plants in Russia, and then also China is building a pilot plant with a 2026 start date. So
0: we're kind of early on that. Mm-hmm. Um- Okay, so that's, that's, you've done a great job of of giving us sort of the background, the history, and then how it's developed and where we are today. Let's talk a little bit now more about sort of policy issues and, and, you know, how that has shifted over time. You know, it seems to me just, you know, the course of my lifetime as a child, nuclear power was this, you know, gee whiz, Jetsons technology. We were all going to use this in the future. Then we had some safety incidents, you know, well-known in the 70s and 80s, and suddenly people were dead set against nuclear energy. And uh, now it seems like the pendulum is shifting back again for other reasons, again, having to do with whether it's uh, environmental concerns about emissions or uh, the security of, of supply of, of fossil fuels, for example. So, uh, uh, you know, where, where do where do you see it standing right now in terms of our, our policy towards nuclear power around the world? So, uh, what you said is uh, correct. So, we uh,
1: the policy has been shifting, and each time when we shift, uh, there seems to be different focused. So, just use the last ten years as an example. It started with uh, 2011 Fukushima nuclear incident. At that time, the the, the, the focus was on safety, which ended up leading to nuclear power plant shutdowns in Japan, in Germany, and the United States. Before the, the shutdown, they actually had, uh, before the incident in Fukushima, they had 17 nuclear reactors, and so now they're only running three. And then in the last, I would say, three to five years, people start to recognize the benefit of a nuclear power, and that's because it has a very little carbon footprint the nuclear reactor itself does not generate a carbon emission there's maybe a little bit of carbon emission coming from the really the auxiliary devices such as the water pumps and and others but they don't generate that much of carbon so so those are you know nuclear power plant is, is considered a zero emission uh, energy source however that recognition alone was not enough to reverse the trend until this year as a result of the war in ukraine Led to a very high cost of natural gas, particularly in Europe and also in Asia uh, Pacific uh, regions, and also very high price of electricity as a result of that. So that became an issue of that kind of shifted focus to the to the really the security of supply, and also the economics of electricity, and the views are changing to be even more favorable to the nuclears. and uh, and therefore leading to. Delaying nuclear power plant shutdowns because German, uh, Germany was planning to uh, shut down the last three nuclear power reactors, but now they're delaying that. Japan is going to accelerate approval of those 16 reactors and bring them online. and the other countries are now more open to building, building new nuclears. So so what does that mean for the, today and the future? Yeah, and certainly my, my view is that the nuclear should play an important role. Uh, in the energy mix and also in the energy transition. And that's because nuclear is needed for three major reasons, um, which you kind of mentioned earlier. One is security supply. And secondly, you know, economic reasons, because fuel diversity is a great way to hedge against a very high natural gas cost, which is the environment we're in today. And lastly, is the environmental benefit uh, with zero carbon emission. And also technology, as I mentioned earlier, with the GEM4 nuclear reactor, and possibly the SMRs, which stands for small modular reactors, uh, they could also uh, make the new nuclear more relevant in the mix of energy in the future. Uh, of course, along the way, we need to be very conscious of the challenges, and also uh, um, we're still going to need a political and regulatory support of the nuclear industry, and also be conscious of that public views may change
0: from time to time. Yeah. Um, so it seems to me there the the objections historically have kind of focused on two things. One was always about safety, but then the other was about what do you do with the waste? What do you do with the spent fuel? You know? So uh, what's your view on that? Like, is is that a challenge we can overcome? I would say
1: it's a challenge in terms of safety. I would say in the industry had, we did have histories of nuclear uh, incidents, with the most recently uh, at the Fukushima. But also the safety standard has been raised, and then technology design has becoming better. As I said, the Chancery has the core catcher, so therefore uh, it is getting better. Oftentimes, it's really of the you know the public acceptance of willingness to recognize that safety benefit uh, in the engineering. So hopefully, uh, the view will change as uh, as we build up a longer safety record. Uh, operating a safe record and then public uh, can become more open to that uh, nuclear waste has always been a challenge because regardless no matter how you change the reactor design you're going to generate nuclear waste and the storage of nuclear waste has always been generally challenging every country has a different way of storing them and and the united states is still in the process of trying to get it fully resolved uh, by storing them on the ground in you know, one particular uh, site in Nevada. Uh, and, and before that's resolved, some of the waste are actually st- stored on the site, which is somewhat
0: not as comforting as as as, as you know, miles underground. Right. But, you know, right. And that, I mean and if we go to a world with all these small modular reactors, yeah. each one storing waste on on site. Um, you know, and the need for security around that, that's that's a challenge. Yes, that is one of the challenges for, challenges for the SMRs.
1: So I would say just quickly touch upon the general overall challenge we're facing in in the new nuclear going forward. You know, I'll just quickly highlight that one is uh, we need to recognize it's still a very capital-intensive project, and uh, the projects that's been built, pretty much every single one of them, Single one of them have experienced schedule delays and cost overruns by doubling or tripling the cost of original estimate and years of delays in schedule.
0: So therefore, uh, can I can I just ask like what drives those delays? Is it has it been like environmental challenges? What you know why why are they so unable to plan accurately about how long these things are going to take or what they're going to cost?
1: I guess as you mentioned earlier, uh, first we haven't been building nuclears for decades, and uh, the people who used to build them, in the seventies and eighties, are no longer the ones that are available to the kind of guide through the the build construction, and that's first and secondly. It's a newer technology. And also, keep in mind, the nuclear plants are built with probably the highest safety standard in the whole world, mm-hmm. with everything that's been built, because we want it to be incident-free and in the span of its operating life and minimum for 40 years. Right. And the Gen 3s are kind of designed for 60 years and hopefully 80 years. And some people are even speculating for 100 years. But let's just see, even for 40 years, that's a pretty high safety standard. And, and, and secondly, uh, because of that, during the construction process, if there's any discovery or concern on the safety of the power plant, you will have to make a stop and then make mm-hmm. corrections on that.
0: So Okay. So I guess it's worth it. It's mm-hmm. well worth it in the <laughs>
1: end. Uh, but that does make it quite a headache because the project cost goes up. And, and then and then makes the next person or next country or next company want to build a nuclear plant. You know, they have to take a to think, do I want to take that? this kind of undertaking that will cost billions and then and, and then could be experiencing cost overruns and right. time delays, you know, is that something I wanna take? Uh, so so I think you know, uh, it's an experience factor. I mean in the seventies and eighties, the whole world were able to build more than three hundred fifty reactors in the span of twenty years. And with at that kind of a computing power and the technology, I would think that you know, with today's computing capability right. and engineering capability, if we really want to do it, we probably can't. It's just a matter of climbing up the learning curve first and then, and then replicate that uh, again and again. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we need to deal with the, the economics. And, and that's because renewable power, such as wind and solar, is a competing power source. And wind and solar also has zero em- emission, same as nuclear. And they are becoming cheaper, and currently is cheaper than nuclear, and also wind and solar are not considered as dangerous as nuclear. So therefore, so people sometimes question, you know, when they try to make a decision, you know, do I build a new nuclear or a new wind and solar? There is, you know, the only argument to to build a new
0: nuclear could be really the the fuel diversity argument, that. Well, and also presumably reliability too. You know, the, you know, wind and, and solar are not always on, and, that's correct. and nuclear can be always on. But of course, if you could get better battery storage for for the wind and solar, that that would also tip the balance. So that's
1: correct. That's the next piece of the puzzle, which is once you know whether the battery cost and the hydrogen cost will come down to solve the short term storage, which is battery, and the long term storage, which is, uh, energy storage, which is hydrogen. If we get those costs coming down meaningful enough to be comparable and then with the
0: renewables then that combination could be quite competitive against the nuclear. So I so, mean as, as we're sitting here today are are these discussions taking place at uh, you know I guess it's not just electric companies I mean this is sort of a government policy issue too but like are, are there discussions taking place today about should we move ahead with this new nuclear power plant and you know, how are those decisions falling out? Are they are they moving ahead or not? I would
1: say it, diff, it differs by country. Uh, I would say, you, as I mentioned earlier, there are some countries are are pretty yes, well, uh, yeah, committed to, to the China, impact, China, yeah. China India, and uh, uh, maybe a few other countries. And, and then, and I think in, uh, in the United States and Europe, they're a little bit more hesitant. But there are signs that's kind of you know helping us in that direction. Uh, including the Inflation Reduction Act uh, that was passed recently, uh, within the act there uh, there are nuclear uh, tax credits provided for existing nuclear power plants, and also tax credits uh, for new builds as well. So those tax credits, you know, if it's uh, you know applied or used properly, it could help uh, not only the existing plant to run for longer, you know, beyond this forty year to sixty years or, or beyond. And also could uh, encourage another new build. And as I said earlier, the Southern Company is building two nuclear power plants, even though they experienced challenges, you know, uh, in the past. But they are near the end. Those could be finished and commissioned sometime next year. So when that happens, we may see a headline that in the, new, uh, in the United States, the uh, first nuclear power plant uh, after decades is up and running. I think that could psychologically, at least uh, to provide a, a boost in confidence and, and then also helping companies to make decision or policy uh, makers to, to provide additional support.
0: So if, if, if you're, you know, had to make a, a bet one way or the other, 20 years from now, if, if uh, are we gonna have more nuclear power plants up and running than we do today in the United States or, or fewer? Uh, my view is more. I, I still
1: think that this is important uh, in the whole energy transition, uh, and, and as you uh, recognize, they, they provide stability, they provide zero emission, and they provide fuel diversity, and, and therefore, you know, security of supply to a certain degree. Uh, so I'm kind of a uh, cautiously optimistic about the future of the nuclear industry.
0: Okay, well, uh, this has been a great uh, discussion, Michael. Thanks very much for joining me. And we'll be back with another episode uh, in the near future. If, uh, if you enjoy this podcast, please uh, take a moment to give us a good rating on whatever pot, uh, platform you get this podcast from and uh, and possibly even leave us a, a review. So thanks very much. Remember to subscribe to Actively Speaking on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play. You can find all of our previous episodes and additional content on our website, www.eipny.com.
2: The information contained in this podcast is distributed for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice or a recommendation of any particular security, strategy, or investment product. Information contained herein has been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but not guaranteed. The information is accurate as of the date submitted, but is subject to change. Any performance information referenced represents past performance and is not indicative of future returns. Any projections, targets, or estimates in this presentation are forward-looking statements and are based on EPIC's research, analysis, and assumptions made by EPIC. There can be no assurances that such projections, targets, or estimates will occur, and the actual results may be materially different. Other events which were not taken into account in formulating such projections, targets, or estimates may occur and may significantly affect the returns or performance of any accounts and or funds managed by EPIC. To the extent this podcast contains information about specific companies or securities, including whether they are profitable or not, they are being provided as a means of illustrating our investment thesis. Each security discussed has been selected solely for this purpose and has not been selected on the basis of performance or any performance-related criteria. Past references to specific companies or securities are not a complete list of securities selected for clients, and not all securities selected for clients in the past year were profitable. The securities discussed herein do not represent an entire portfolio and in the aggregate may only represent a small percentage of a client's holdings. Clients' portfolios are actively managed and securities discussed in this podcast may or may not be held in such portfolios at any given time.